0: What up, what up, Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will Weir, checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time, my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Manakis. Happy Sunday to you, my guy.
1: Happy Sunday, bro. Uh, recovering a little bit from that early morning pickup run that we had today where we were pushing the pace like the Boston <laughs> Celtics, man. That, that felt good to get
0: out there and run with the boys. Yeah, there was there was no walking the dog in that game today. There was a uh, there was there was a lot of energy, a lot of pace to it. It was it was good, you know. It was um, one of those pickup runs where I was glad that we had, you know, I was just kind of poking fun at a few guys who were just like, "All right, let's keep it going." And you know, we di- we didn't take too long of breaks, but I think ultimately, with you know the way that our bodies are aging, the more the more rest we have, the more chance that it's just going to all seize up and fall apart if we wait too long to get back out there.
1: Yeah man it's like it's no surprise that they the Boston Celtics have kept Al Horford out of back to back games because I need at least i don't know like 2 to 3 days rest between each time I play basketball
0: yeah, I mean Al Horford's the, one of the closest comparisons we have, right? Guys, thirty-six. He's one of the few guys that's actually older than us, so totally understand the maintenance package that goes into making sure that Al Horford is performing at his peak. And we're gonna get to what that peak is looking like recently, because he has been a man on a mission. And before we jump in here, uh, we're gonna break down a few different aspects from the most recent Celtics Hawks games. Include, I'm gonna get y'all set up with a morning box score, break down a potential first round playoff matchup, as well as a few other things. One, just do a quick programming note here. So appreciate everybody that has continued to follow along with us here on the Celtics blog feed, please continue to do so. Uh, As y'all know, there is a transition coming up here, likely at the end of the month, we don't quite have all the information to give to you quite yet, but we are putting a few things together. Uh, our homies over at First to the Floor. I believe that this is going to be their last week on this particular feed. So if y'all enjoy their content, make sure you go actually subscribe to their actual feed, not just this one. This will be their last week on it. They'll make some announcements about that. However, Greg and I, we're still gonna be remaining here until we get our next step kind of figured out. Um, so make sure that you're subscribing here to this podcast feed. We'll keep y'all posted as well as. Make sure that you are following us on YouTube, which we are recording on right now for this podcast as well We are going live with all of our podcasts here going forward Uh, So if you want to join in, we'll make sure to try and shout you out here on the podcast Uh, And then also make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, at Green Envy Pod uh, As well as any other clips that we break up Those will mostly be seen on Instagram as well as YouTube So make sure that you are following your boys here because we got some things cooking So don't want y'all to miss out and we appreciate everybody that is following along with that being said let's do what we do here celtics hawks let's fire up a morning box boston celtics take down the atlanta hawks on the road to start a six game road trip 134 to 125 for the hawks trey young goes 12 of 27 35 points to go with 13 assists sadiq bay somewhat of a celtics killer 17 points off the bench clink capella 12 points and 9 rebounds For the Celtics, Jason Tatum, 12 of 25, 34 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists, a very MVP-like stat line for Jason Tatum, Derek White, Doing his thing like he does. 18.7 assists. Jalen Brown, 24 points, five rebounds. 7 assists. Sixth man of the year candidate. My personal sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon. 18 points off the bench. Celtics shoot 47.6% on threes versus only 29.4% for the Hawks. Grabbed the lead basically about halfway through the second quarter. Maybe a little bit earlier than that. And the Celtics never really trailed again in this one. Greg this was a a game especially coming off you know the Portland game and then into this game where it feels like the ship has been corrected a little bit maybe these were two kind of perfect teams for that but when you look at a team like the Hawks this is very much a potential first round matchup with the way that the standings are shaking out so so let's just start here as we start to kind of examine this from a potential playoff preview you know what did you take away watching this game the other night?
1: Well, I would say the first thing is just the amount of open three-pointers that we got. Um, I'll make sure that um, in the little Celtics blog article that I write up for the pod, I'll include some screenshots of the amount of space in which the Celtics had to shoot their three-pointers. If you follow me on Twitter, at Meaty Minnow, I tweeted out a thread, just screenshots of every open three-point shot the Boston Celtics got. And there was like three of them. That were contested of the twenty makes. Like in contested is a loose word because it was yeah. Jason Tatum going one on one with Clint Capella. Like that's that's a mismatch in anybody's book right there. So I think like in terms of what we want the Boston Celtics to look like. And what this version, this iteration of the Boston Celtics truly are as a team, I think a free-flowing offensive team that is not, like unafraid to shoot the three going up against guys that aren't really providing much resistance, that's kind of a dream first-round matchup for the Celtics if they go up
0: against the Hawks. Yeah. Watching this game yesterday, and I, and I think I mentioned this on the last podcast when we were starting to throw around the ideas of what the play in could look like, you know, where the panic meters at, so on and so forth. And, you know, I said, if we get the Hawks, it's a heaven set. I'm doubling down on that. I'm tripling down on that. I just don't see where the Hawks, maybe they get a game, you know, Trey Young's going to have going to put up some stats. You know, I think when Trey Young is, is out there, he's he is a really dynamic offensive player. But I think overall, I look at their roster, I look at their wings makeup, and I go, how are you stopping the Jays here? What's what's the plan? Sadiq Bey and Stanley Johnson and DeAndre Hunter, they're fine. They're not stopping Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And then you talk about the way that we can kind of stretch them out and negate Clint Capella at the rim a little bit, you know, and make him and John Collins feel like if they're going to protect the rim, they're going to have to do so chasing, which as you're scrolling right now on YouTube, you're going through all of the various three point shots that led to the spacing the Celtics can provide against this Hawks team. And it just feels like a pretty bad matchup for the Hawks. And I think the Celtics have enough answers for Trey Young and anything that can, you know, the. The Hawks could do offensively. That if this ends up being the first round matchup, compared to as we talked about before, you know, even though the Raptors are struggling once again, they still have Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. That's that's just a a more difficult task. You go to get Miami Heat. We've been down that path. We're we're done. We're we're over the Heat. We don't want to do that anymore. So you know, I think if the Hawks end up being either in that two seven or if Celtics can get back into the one eight combo. That is right now, other than, you know, the Bulls or Wizards, and even the Bulls play the Celtics kind of tough, which I'm not necessarily into that matchup. But other than the Wizards, I think the Hawks are the team that you're looking at from that play-in group that that is the, you know, that is the ideal scenario for the Celtics.
1: Yeah, and the playoffs won't end up being a war of attrition, right? That's the thing that's happened, you know, even since the bubble. We've talked about how that Raptor series just took so much out of the Boston Celtics when it very easily could have been a sweep. But for those of you that remember, O.G. Ananobi hit that ridiculous shot with 0. 0.4 seconds. Brad Stevens puts in taco fall to guard uh, Kyle Lowry inbounding the
0: ball. Hey, if I still say if, if he didn't have the extra room, because remember, we're in the bubble. So yep. he had like an extra, you know, three to five feet. I don't know how, how much exactly it was to be able to stand back and get that pass over. If we're right up against the sidelines, maybe maybe that Taco Fall, you know, uh, doesn't, the Taco Fall substitute doesn't look as bad in retrospect. That's a great
1: point. That's a great point. But that, that series took so much out of the Celtics. So when they went up against the Heat, they didn't quite have the legs to get there. And obviously that was a team that was lacking size. You know, Robert Williams was not Robert Williams yet. It was a lot of Daniel Tice. Grant Williams was our best option for guard and bam out of bio, but we didn't quite understand that um, during that series. So it's just too much Daniel Tice. And looking now, you know, three years later, Daniel Tice isn't even a rotation player in the NBA. So it, it, it speaks volumes to how far Far the Celtics have come but also just like the depth that we've accumulated and the size that we've accumulated since then to get ready for playoff basketball in the Hawks although they're you know Trey Young is going to be tough to cover uh Dejounte Murray can cause problems Clint Capella if Rob's in the game like not really an issue for us so there's There are some offensive pieces that the Hawks have that will be kind of annoying to watch, but I don't know that it's going to be able to get them more than a game, maybe two, if they're super, super lucky. If, uh, you know, the Celtics don't go 50% from three in a game, like maybe the Hawks can steal one, but there's just so much space out there going up against the Hawks. You know, John Collins, I've never been a big John Collins guy. He was getting cooked all night. DeAndre Hunter is the one guy that if he took a leap, like, maybe, maybe there's a defensive lineup with um, DeAndre Hunter at the four, Okongu at the five, DeJounte Murray, Sadiq Bey, and Jalen Johnson. Like, maybe that's a five that can maybe. give the Celtics some issues. But then Trey Young's not on the court. There's just not yeah. enough that they have to give us real issues.
0: Yeah, I feel like, and this is kind of our thing with, with Trey Young, is neither of us are the biggest Trey Young guys while also acknowledging, like, yeah, he's pretty freaking talented. Like, he's he was hitting some shots last night and made a couple of moves that just make you go, ooh. You know, but at the end of the day, I don't think those are enough to actually make a difference in, you know, in in a postseason setting. And to me, he just feels like one of the hardest stars. because He's a star level guy. Like the stuff he does is is, is elite, but I think he's the hardest star level guy to build around. So he wouldn't build around Rudy Gobert because you just you need that offensive side of the ball. Trey Young is just really, really hard to build around. But but focusing back on the Celtics for a minute, Greg, you you talked a little bit about the depth. I want to go to that big man depth because I think there's a few things that we need to continue our discussion having here that we started last time talking about Uh, Grant Williams just kind of seemingly being cut out of much of the rotation. He catches another DNP in this Hawks game. Basically, the Celtics go with Rob Williams, who's still out right now with that injury. looks like he's traveling with the team, potentially could come back at some point on this road trip. But you look at the big man rotation for this last game, and it was just Al Horford and Blake Griffin. They basically went to just having two bigs. And then kind of, you know, rotating within that, the, the different guards and wing combos that they have across the team. And so I thought that was a really interesting development to see that if you split, you, know, you look at Al Horford, he played thirty two fifty five, Blake played fifteen oh five, basically an exact split of what you need to get you through the game. What were your thoughts on, first, the decision to do that, and then second, the way that Blake Griffin played in the minutes that he got? Well,
1: this is, you know, as, we, as those of you that are watching on YouTube, I have a, um, article pulled up from Celtics blog by WJSY. I believe that hey, is hey, our hey, guy, Bill side, Celtics guy, Bill Let's Sire, go. the Celtics guy. And I think he wrote a great piece, um, just talking about how Blake has come in first big off the bench in the last three games, you know, obviously coinciding with Robert Williams being out, but. There's a world in which Luke Cornett gets those minutes early in the season. There's a, a world in which Grant Williams gets those minutes earlier in the season. Even Muscala, you know, we we acquired him at the deadline because of his ability to stretch the floor. But Blake is just such a unique player that he has this unbelievable basketball IQ that had him, you know, not quite at the peak of his athletic prime, but probably at the peak of his his prime as a player, just kind of putting it all together where he was an MVP top five guy, you know, for a year or two there. And it's his ability to make the right play to make the right pass just to make his teammates better. That filling in for Al Horford, although he can't shoot almost 50% from three, like Al somehow has this year, which is just insane. Uh, Blake does a lot of the same stuff that Al is able to do without the floor spacing. So like all the stuff that we love about quote unquote average Al from back in the day, Blake (laughs) does a lot of that stuff. His ability to set hard screens, to roll to the rim, set screens without fouling, Um, I think that's an important skill as well. You know, we, we see that occasionally with all big men in the NBA, but with Blake, you don't see it quite as much as some of the other guys that come in off the bench. He's just a really solid player and knows how to navigate that space. He's really good in the short roll. Um, he can make that skip pass to the other side in a short roll to the corner three, which I think is really important if the Celtics are in, you know, a. uh, Pick and roll five out type scenario with Blake in that delay Al Horford spot at the top. So there's a bunch of different stuff that Blake Griffin does really well. Where I get it why he's actually getting minutes at this point in the season. It's coming at the expense of Grant, but Mm -hmm. I mean we've we've discussed the Grant Williams stuff enough. I don't know if you want to go back into that. If you want to stay focused on on Blake.
0: Well, real quick, let me just you you dropped in there about you know Al Horford and and his ability to stretch the floor. You know, not only is he now leading the NBA, technically tied with Luke Kennard at 45.7% from three on the season, but but just so you know, he shot 90 more threes than Luke Kennard this year. So just put that in perspective a little bit here. And over his last 10 games, Al's shooting 5.9 threes a game while shooting 59.3%. Just banana stuff from from Al Horford. Do not take Al Horford for granted. And you know, I, I agree with you on a lot of what you're saying. With Blake Griffin. Here's my biggest issue. And and you're right. We have talked about this grant piece uh, quite a bit, but it is a part that I'll be honest is kind of irking me a bit because as much as everything you're saying about Blake Griffin is true. When we get into a seven game series. And we're playing the New York Knicks and we're playing the Milwaukee Bucks and we're playing the Sixers and we're playing the Miami Heat with Bam Adebayo, who you just alluded to that we didn't really know, hey, Grant's actually not that bad of a matchup for, you know, for a guy like Bam when we were in the bubble, because that was, I don't know if that was Grant's rookie year or second year, I can't remember, but, you know, he was still early on. We didn't really know what we had there. And so while you're, you're right about the way that Blake has been playing, like, Does that do you still feel do you feel good about that, that he could do that in a seven game series when it when it gets down to, you know, you have two teams really locked in on trying to expose each other's weaknesses. I think on a Saturday night against Atlanta for a game. Yeah, no problem. But when you're trying to build the continuity and the stability of certain areas that this team is going to need and knowing what matchups are going to be the most important, I still think grants the answer. And so that's the part for me that just leaves my leaves me scratching my head as to how all of these DNPs for a guy like Grant that I feel like is going to be very needed in big moments and scenarios is a good thing, even when it results in winning. And yeah, we can say it's the matchups, but the matchups that matter, I feel like, are going to involve Grant. So that's the part for me that, that just leaves me just a little confused.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's some validity to the argument that grant has kind of just like worn out his welcome uh, amongst the team and that he's just like as i said in the last pod getting too big for his britches and in, in some degree and then you know the the contract stuff that we talked if you want to hear my thoughts on that go back to the last pod <laughs> but with sam hauser rediscovering his shot i think that's kind of where that's big. the grant williams skill set of sh- stretching the floor doesn't make as much of a difference anymore because if hauser's able to do what he can do and he's such a better uh overall shooter than grant is grant's kind of just a spot-up shooter sam's that one guy that you've been looking for all these years that can come off of screens that you can run floppy for all these different things that you can do with sam hauser if you look at the the threes that he got last night, a lot of it was off of action and guys just getting hung up on screens. Some of those screens coming from Blake Griffin. You know what I mean? So I think with with what Blake is able to do, if Joe sees Sam Hauser's three-point weapon being better than Grant's potential matchups defensively, especially when we have Rob coming back. And if we go, you know, Al with the the four guards, uh, four guard, well, four wings, I guess, as the starting five, there's probably not even going to be minutes for Blake Griffin in the playoffs. Maybe he's getting five to seven minutes. He's not going to get 15 like he did last yeah. night. So if Grant is only out there for five to seven minutes versus Blake being out there for five to seven minutes, I think Blake's probably going to be able to make a little bit more of an impact in those short minutes than Grant can.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting storyline to, to kind of play out. And that brings me to kind of the next thing that I think we, we need to talk about. I want to take a break first. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what should happen when Rob Williams comes back and what this starting lineup looks like. All right, so right now, the Celtics, for the most part, this season, their most consistent starting lineup has been Marcus Smart, Derek White, Al Horford, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown when Rob has come back he's played off the bench obviously during his initial stint when he returned after that he's mostly been in the starting lineup minus just the occasional Joe Missoula Ah, I'm gonna do what I feel like doing Missoula over here don't ask me questions you know and he just does what he wants but I I think right now as we start to look as everything is gearing up towards the playoffs I, I think right now And we talked a little bit about this last episode where I think we both agree Derek White's been the third best player in the Celtics this year. I think you could make the case Al Horford's probably the fourth most and maybe is one of the one or two most important, just given his versatility. And and then you have Marcus Smart. And I think that five should not only be the starting five, it should be the closing five most nights with adjustments made, matchup dependent. At a you know as in the flow of the game but i think those should be your starting and closing fives the majority of the nights moving forward
1: i agree and the guy that should be the potential person to be moved out of that five is marcus like we got we, we got to stop with this it's it's Derek white that's that's going to the bench in that scenario like as we saw last night man you know i love marcus i'm a huge marcus smart fan but he hasn't played that well this season and they're this when you as When Marcus is having a meltdown like he was having last night in the fourth quarter, well, I don't know what was going on with him. He was just upset that Trey Young was just toasting him the entire time.
0: Real quick. That was just a total overreaction or just a frustration reaction, right? I think like that's, that's
1: accumulation of all the stuff that's happening during the game. Okay. And then he gets kicked in the nuts and he he freaks out, even though Trey Young didn't mean to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seemed um,
0: even even uh, Lorena was watching the, the game with me last night and she was like, That didn't look very intentional. Why is he so upset? I was like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just he's just having he's just having a moment. That's about it. Yeah.
1: And I think Al probably needs to be on the court just because of his ability to stroke the 3 this year like and he's he's so good on the defensive end as well even though there are some matchups where you might be a little concerned with his foot speed I think he probably makes up for it in other ways where mm-hmm. it's not worth putting in like a Grant over Al but maybe maybe there are some scenarios um but I think like Brogdon I was really interested to see the last Uh, 90 seconds of the game whatever it was when Smart got ejected Brogdon come into this the closing five and it's Brogdon, White the Jays and Al and one thing that I, I loved about the end of the game is the Celtics didn't stop running and that's one thing that really frustrates me about them is that when it's the last five minutes of the game, they really try to slow the game down, and it doesn't make sense for the way that they like to play and the way Missoula would prefer them to play. They need to get out and keep running the full forty-eight minutes. And last night was one of the first times I actually saw them do it. I don't know if it's just a coincidence that you know, Marcus Smart was off the floor there because he he was running before he got um before he got ejected from the game. It's just mm-hmm. it so happens he blew the layup on the one that he had an Shit. opportunity, which was really really frustrating. Um, but I just think. What I saw at the end of the game last night leads me to hope there are a few more situations in which we can see that five that was on the court just like a couple of times at the end of the season so that Joe at least knows, hey, that five can actually close out a game and I can feel good about it.
0: I think you made an important Uh, an important point about picking up the pace because there was a moment there where it felt like the same Celtics trap was about to commence once again, you know, eight, nine minutes left where we're doing the whole walk the dog thing. And, you know, listen, like I, I thought it was pretty entertaining early in the season when we would just let the ball sit there and grants kind of in that fullback lead action dive that that they were doing. I was entertained. I, I really liked it, but As the season goes on, when there's eight or nine minutes left, guys, like, yeah, we're up nine. You know how easy it is to make up nine points in the NBA? Like, let's keep playing. Let's keep playing with that pace. And it it leads to some really interesting fourth quarters for the Celtics team because statistically, offensive rating-wise, they're one of the, the worst five or six teams in the league in the fourth quarter. However their you know their crunch time rating or their clutch rating is actually not terrible they're in the top 10 they're ninth in in clutch offense and so it's it's that in between portion of when the game has enough space that it doesn't qualify as quite you know quote unquote close but it's the opportunity for those teams to make a run in which the Celtics just start going into this you know waste management offense for whatever reason at points way too early the game so I do think that that was a really important point and then you know with that stuff with that you know that final lineup that's starting five right now they're the third best net rating lineup in the nba behind the nugget starters and behind the the golden state you know typical starting lineup and so i know we've leaned a lot on how good last year that double big lineup was and you had it pulled up on the screen earlier adam taylor our guy our podcasting cousin uh wrote a great article the other day talking about what could be the death of this you know double big lineup except for when needed because of how good this lineup has been, and I, I think just at all times now, it feels like this is where you need to go having these multiple ball handlers out on the court that can shoot, they can pass, they can dribble, they can close, they can kick, that can all do multiple things at one time. So I, I think this is the way that that Joe needs to lean in, is is really heavily, to your point, going with this starting, this starting five, this closing five, and then... Make the call between Marcus and Malcolm, and if there is a double big situation, then you worry about whether Grant or Rob's out there. But that feels kind of like that should be the the continuity that's being built up down the stretch here, as that should be the you know the closing group.
1: Yeah, and Adams' article is great. Uh, if those of you that are listening, make sure you go to Celtics blog. It's not currently one of the top articles listed right now. You have to scroll down a little bit to find it, but um, it's called the the name of this article. I have it pulled up here. It's called, is it time for the Celtics to dump the double big lineup before the playoffs? And one of the things that really stood out to me is this lineup that we have um, without Marcus Smart, right? It is Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Robert Williams. So this is the one double big lineup that's actually registered. So
0: basically last year's starting lineup, switch out White and Marcus.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And To me, if you want to have that double big lineup out there, a big point in Adam's article is that it's just a little bit too clunky. And with Marcus not being the best shooter, Rob being a complete non shooter, it's really hard in the NBA to have two non shooters on the court. And Marcus will still let that thing fly and he can still make some shots. But Derek White's just a better shooter than Marcus Smart is. So it makes sense to me that this is the one lineup that still has had positive effects because Mm -hmm. there is that guy who can dribble pass and shoot in Derek White, where Marcus is more of a dribble pass guy. You know what I mean? And that's no knock on smart. It's just like, if you're going to play this double big lineup, it's really hard to justify having Marcus out there. If the defense isn't at an all world level, which it hasn't been with this lineup, you know? So with Missoula ball being what it is and being this, you know, offensive free flowing, like almost dance of an offense Mm -hmm. that is that is not a dance, right? I don't even know what you would describe that as a mosh pit. Like that starting five, <laughs> that's like more of a mosh pit than a dance. You know what I mean? So I just think it doesn't make sense, especially with Rob being injured as frequently as he's been. Just put him to the bench. You know, we know that this starting five can be great. The defense can be porous as it was in the first quarter against the Hawks uh, a couple nights ago. But I think having Rob come off the bench is just such a weapon in itself.
0: Yeah. And I think if we're going to lean so much on, hey, this this one lineup was so great last year, we, we have to do the same for this year. This is, yeah. you know, last year was last year. This year is this year. It's a, it doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, look at the Warriors series, right? They switched up their lineup midway through the the, the finals. It doesn't mean that there's never not going to be a time that you have that you can make a move. But the question that I'm kind of thinking of here, I guess we're going through all this and this is purely just us speculating giving our thoughts of, of what we think might be you know the the thought process here i think rob would, would take to the bench fine rob's kind of been asked about it because it was working pretty well when he came back and he was kind of like hey whatever we gotta do to win like let's do it and also you know just preserving rob's minutes in his body like i think there's a lot of sense to it the guy that i'm i'm i would be curious to know and i think for a game he's fine i think if it becomes more consistent. I would get worried as to his reaction and how that affects his play on the court. And that's Marcus Smart. I mean, as we just talked about, Marcus is a very emotional player and that's sometimes for the better and that's sometimes for the worse. And we've you know, we've we've been with Marcus Smart now for what is it, eight years or, or whatever it is, eight, nine years. Like we, we've seen we've seen each side of it. We've seen him shoot us into games when nobody has it going. We've seen him shoot us out of games when he shouldn't have. And we've seen his emotion play out where it gets the crowd going. He's the emotional, spiritual leader of this team. And we've seen where he gets ejected in games like the other night. And so for me, I am very curious to know. And like I said, this is just our thoughts. We don't have no idea. What do you, do you think Marcus would be able to handle in some nights, out other nights? You know, would he be able to handle that fluctuation? Or do you think for him, it, it, I mean, it's been such a long hurdle to get over that. Oh, I'm not a point guard, huh? Well, now look what happened? And now to be relegated to this kind of turnstile between maybe him and Brogdon or whoever it needs to be, do you think he'd be able to handle it properly?
1: I hope so. I, I mean, mean, I hope so too. I yeah. mean,
0: that's the easy answer. But both,
1: do you think he could? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, Probably that's, not. That's what I'm I mean too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think. You. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, uh, the best point you made was just how hard it's been for him to get to this point in his career, where he's really had to scratch and claw. But on the other side of things, like. Marcus won defensive player of the year last year. He's got his his third contract in the league. Like he's set financially. He's got the accolades that he needs. The only thing that's missing from his resume is an NBA championship. And to win an NBA championship, look at any team throughout history the one common denominator is that people have to sacrifice. And if it means that Marcus Smart has to you know, swallow his pride and check his ego at the door and be okay, some games, we're not advocating for every game Marcus to be out of the closing five. That's not what exactly. we're saying here. It's just that if matchup dependent, Marcus might need to take a seat because it's not Derek White. Derek White is too important to what the Celtics have done this year For to take him off the court in crunch time. It's just plain and simple. If you're going to sit somebody between Marcus, Derek White, Al Horford, right now, just the way that the team is constructed, Marcus is probably the guy in favor of a Brogdon, maybe in favor of a Grant, as you said, down the stretch, going up against a double big or going up against a Julius Randle. It just can't be Derek White because he's been too important to this team. So, like, I would hope – Marcus Smart is able to make that sacrifice. But I honestly wouldn't blame him if he was upset about it. I hope he would be upset about it, but he would be able to like take that, um, that anger, it, and compartmentalize it exactly. And just be like, okay, like next game, I'm going to make sure I play so well that Joe has no no choice but to keep me on the floor.
0: That's what you hope. That's that's what I think we're hoping for here. and that And that's to your point. I kind of think Joe needs to test the waters on that. Before mm. we get to the postseason, because then if that, if it turns out that this is something that Marcus. I mean, I don't know what you do if it's just something that that's clearly it's it's he's reacting to in a visceral way where whether the next game he's all effed up and is, you know, mentally in his head. But I think it's something you'd rather find out with 15, 18 games left, whatever's left in the regular season, than jump into this. And now all of a sudden it's a, you know, a media, you know, shitstorm of, oh, my God, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And it's amplified. And we haven't seen any of this play out before. I I think that's something Joe needs to to dip his toe in and, and see what happens. But you know what
1: wouldn't be a media shitstorm? If it happened one game and Marcus did what Derek White did the other night, and was like, hey, this is what happens sometimes when you're on sure. a great team. Some games you have to you know, sit your ass on the bench and be okay with it. And if he did that, then the story would go away. But if he yeah. was surly about it and he was bitching and moaning about it, if he came and he had like a certain way about him in the next game or in the post-game press conference, then it becomes this narrative. But if he's able to just be like, hey, you know, I get it, you know, i'm i'm not jason tatum i'm not Jalen brown there are some games in which i might not have it going derek white might have it going malcolm has it going like i gotta be okay with that because yeah. i know that my teammates are also great players you know and maybe last year you there's no argument that you can really make to sit marcus martin crunch time but this year you can make that argument
0: yeah i think that's exactly what it is so We'll see what happens. Keep an eye on that. I mean, I think that's one of the bigger storylines as we get towards the as we tw- get towards the end of the regular season. Here is what is going to be the starting five. What's going to be the closing five? Who are the guys that it's very clear Joe is going to lean on in different scenarios? And I think as we get across some of these other playoff matchups that that we have here down the stretch, those will certainly be telling. But anything else you want to hit on here before we uh, we head on over to a Bob check, Greg? No, I think I'm good. All right, let's queue it up then. Bob check time. Uh, let's have you go first. What do you got for us on a vibe check today? Okay, I was
1: I was kind of debating this. We we talked about this at the beginning of the pod, but I'm just going to go with it. My, my second choice, I'm just going to throw it out there, was Ocean Spray juices. Just because I've been so big on Ocean Spray juices, I'm drinking a Crayon Raspberry juice right now. The other night, you asked me if I was drinking wine. I was not drinking wine. I was drinking like a peach-flavored combo. I feel like uh, with- Crayon
0: Raspberry is like the standard Ocean Spray. That's like the – it's like the – not blood red bottle, but you know, I don't know what the what the way to you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's the one that they serve on airplanes.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there we go. That's a good way to put. Yeah, it. but
1: I, I really like uh, cran raspberry. So Ocean Spray, if you're listening, you know we take sponsors. I would say that just like having a consistent pickup game, I am vibing with having a consistent pickup game every week. Lock it in. You know that you're getting together with your boys and you're playing some basketball and everybody is motivated to be there. I think when you there are some pickup runs that you go to, if it's not like your pickup run, it's just a run that you hop in at like LA Fitness or 24 Hour Fitness or something like that. It's not the same as getting together with a group of guys that you know, no one's gonna be starting fights, everyone's there to have fun, and it's just a really good time. I never thought I'd be able to get up you know, at 7 a.m. on a weekend and decide to go play ball with my homies. But that's what it turned into. You know, we start our games at nine o'clock, you know, 915, depending on when AJ shows up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we kind of go from there. But I am just I, we said at the beginning of the pod, I'm exhausted from playing this this morning because we push the pace like the Boston Celtics. But it's so nice to have a consistent
0: pickup run there's nothing better it, it's literally one of the the joys of my week is when we decide that this is definitely going down because to your point like i haven't played at just like a, a random gym pickup in in a while but i used to go to we, i think we both used to go to 24 hour fitness quite a bit and yeah it was nice to have some just varied competition once in a while but there's so many negatives that go along with it the majority of the time so when you have your crew you have your peeps you know what the vibe is you know how you know how everyone plays more or less as far as intensity as far as just like, like you said the biggest thing is like especially when you get older dude i'm not here to start a fight man i ain't trying to get no john morant scraps out here like i ain't trying to get in with that like we we just trying to get some exercise we're trying to get some cardio uh and then if aj has his way you know we'll all be eating some wings and drinking some ipas <laughs> later which i don't know that sounds heavy as hell but that's that's that that's, that's our guy's prerogative right now so maybe we'll do some team bonding with it uh but i'm with you 100 i mean I, i'm with you to the point that. I'm actually trying to come up with another vibe check because that was literally the vibe check that that I wrote down for this week. But I got another one. I got another another quick one that I'll that I'll throw out there. Uh, And this one is we've talked about it before, but just a morning cup of coffee, man. So this morning when we do our runs, when we play at 10 a.m., I usually have enough time to get myself a cup of coffee, get up, take the dog out. You know, I got a little bit more time to situate myself, not much of a morning person. When it comes to the 9 a.m. runs, I usually just don't have enough time. I'm just, you know, all right, I'll 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 get out of bed here. I'll do a few things. And, you know, what one thing comes along with the other with coffee. We've already had too much of that type of discussion on this podcast. We're not going to get into it. But it's going to prevent me from from playing the way that I want to play. So usually I, I have to, you know, put coffee to the background. So I have my coffee after I got home while I was rewatching the game this afternoon. Just nothing beats a good cup of coffee, man. I love it. I don't know if that's if that's a good thing or a bad thing that just like it mentally changes my day when I have a mm-hmm. cup of coffee. Like I didn't have coffee yesterday, just not not on purpose, just kind of just kind of didn't happen. And at one point I was just felt like I was in like a bad mood. And I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Everything ended up being fine, but a cup of coffee changes the whole world. See everything in a new light. And for better or worse, coffee is a is a go to pick me up.
1: I agree. I love coffee. What are you putting in your coffee these days? You drinking it black or do you have any cream so we've talked, in there?
0: We've, we've talked about this. Black coffee is the way to go. Is so, so, this so, day. So, so I will say this? Oh, hell yeah. Black black hot coffee all day, every day. Don't don't need to put anything in it. Just give me give me the hot pot. All I need, black coffee. I will put a little bit of cream if I'm doing iced coffee. I do mm-hmm. usually like a little bit of cream. Like if I go to like Dungies or Starbucks, it's like give me or not usually cream. I usually do a little bit of oat milk. Like you know a little yeah. bit a little bit of bougie little, little 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 bougie boop little little boop of oat milk in there and that's that's good <laughs> to go. Get a nice little cream color. You know if you really need some more sugar, whatever, put a little bit in. But other than that, that that that's all you need. You don't need to get fancy with it. So this morning,
1: uh, you said you didn't have the time to drink your coffee. I did. I, I got up. I, like that's something. No matter what, when I wake up in the morning to get things going, I need to. I need to have that coffee. And my question to you is: When you woke up this morning, how confused
0: were you by daylight savings? So I had had a discussion like towards the end of last night, but then I forgot by the morning. So right. I knew. Luckily, I used just the iPhone alarm, so it automatically updates but mm-hmm. i did get out of bed to let uh to let taco out to the backyard and i looked over at the stove and obviously the stove doesn't update automatically yes. and so i was looking i was like wait do i uh, did i get up way earlier than i like i thought i had snoozed <laughs> twice i thought i was actually running a little bit later than i anticipated because so i set my alarm for i think like 7 30 or 7 40 and it was said like 6 57 on the stove and i was like what the hell is going on? And then I remembered, but, but yeah, then you texted the group. Cause I was like, man, somebody's definitely showing up late today or, or is going to be, is either going to be there too early or too late because of the time difference. Dude, same thing happened to
1: me this morning. I woke up and I was like, cause I, I have a pretty good internal, um, alarm like Kramer. What happened and... to
0: your internal alarm?
1: <laughs> I guess I hit the
0: snooze.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I woke up this morning at, at eight o'clock. And I go downstairs and I look at the stove and it says seven o'clock. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's like, I know daylight savings happens in the spring, but for some reason, I thought it happened in like April or May. I didn't realize (laughs) it happened in March. So I was just really, really confused this morning. And that was the first thing that went through my head as well. It was like, I need to text the group to make sure that everybody is able to wake up on time for this run to happen. Because to bring this conversation full circle, like if we didn't get our pickup in this weekend, I would have been upset because I'm going to miss the game on Wednesday in our men's league. So like I needed this run on Sunday. So I, I wouldn't be going like a full two weeks between games.
0: Yeah. We're going to, we're going to miss you, man, but we'll, uh, we'll hold down the fort without you and we'll report back here. Green with envy, our men's rec league team currently sits at one and one. So Big game coming up here, looking to climb above 500 for the first time this season. Uh, But that's going to do it. We're going to put a bow on this episode here of Green with Envy. As always, we appreciate y'all for tuning in. Like I said at the front, please make sure you remain subscribed to this podcast feed. We're going to have more updates on what's happening on that front in the coming weeks, uh, as well as make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok as well as catching up with us on YouTube. We'd love for more of you to start joining in on some of these live recordings, uh, get a little bit of conversation going. I know we had a couple people chiming in last podcast. So as that happens more frequently, we'll make sure that we get y'all the shout out that y'all deserve. And we appreciate you following us on this journey. Uh, but as we always do here, Greg, any final thoughts? And then uh, let us know what we're gonna hear on the way out.
1: No final thoughts. You know the drill. Black Sheep Optimist, Skywalking. Peace do we that I'd never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stick for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my mind, someone told me a rope. I'm getting too damn high, I didn't know I could float. You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote. But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope. Cause you should know that embody. that embodied, that's what go with the flow. I could sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes. You had me taken off when you took off your clothes. It should be coming down by now, but I won't.